It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time in the queue. LeBron left to the circle, left to the lane. You wanted a different approach. The shoot around. Welcome back, Cavs fans. It's been an up and down week, but we're excited to be back. This was a week of some great highs and lows. With an awesome win, a futile loss, and Garland and Sexton missing some time. We will also get into whether or not the team should be fighting to get into the playoffs. The New Orleans Pelicans visited the Cavs on April 11th. A few hours before the game, the Cavs announced that Garland and Sexton would be sitting with different injuries. Minor sprains, but still, that didn't bode well for the final score. It turns out the Cavs continued to show off their depth, scoring 39 points alone in the first quarter finding themselves surprisingly ahead, 68-62 to at the half. Strong play from Wade, Okoro, and Love made for an exciting game, but increased turnovers in the second half, combined with a 15-point fourth quarter, ended the fun with the final score, Pelicans 116, Cavs 109. Bowling ball Zion Williamson had 38 points, and Brandon Ingram put up another 27 for New Orleans, scoring half the team's points. The silver lining has to be Dean Wade and Okoro's performances. Wade shot 62% from three and Akuro 60% overall. Love showed leadership throughout the game, but shot 35%. His poor shooting continues. On April 10th, the Cavs hosted the Toronto Raptors and got eaten up by their voracious shooting. Toronto was led by Gary Trent Jr., who went off, scoring 44 points on 89% shooting. He was molten hot lava. A cool note, he just happens to be an Ohio native. Anyway, to get to the loss, the rest of the Raptors team followed suit and put up 47 points in the first quarter and 87 in the first half. Both of these are franchise records for the Cavs, obviously not good ones. Overall, Toronto shot 61% from the field and 53% from the arc. Cleveland's defense had a lot of issues and not having Allen and Nance was apparent as the Raptors were able to make nine buckets in the paint in the first quarter alone, with a lot of those being early in the shot clock. On the other side of the ball, the Cavs did shoot well at 45% from the field, and Sexton and Garland combined for 48 points. They were the catalyst for a run that cut the 38-point deficit to as low as 12 early in the fourth quarter. However, the Raptors kept scoring and finally put Cleveland out of its misery with a final score of 135-115. to The Cavaliers rolled into Oklahoma City on April 8th and surprised the Thunder with one of their most potent wins of the season with the final score, Cavs 129, Thunder 102. Sexland combined for 48 points and 9 assists. The duo's potency allowed the rest of the starters to score in double digits with Kevin Love totaling an efficient 18 points and 11 rebounds. The Thunder's biggest contributor was backup guard Ty Jerome who put up 27 points, but none of the remaining Thunder starters had more than 15. This game started out chaotic, with both teams scoring more than 60 points. However, it was the Cavs who came out on a 15-0 run in the third quarter that allowed Cleveland to come away with a rarely seen dominant road win. Again, the Cavs only had one win. What game do you want to cover this week, Adam? I'll take the Pelicans game, actually. Sweet. I get to talk about the win against the Thunder. 
All right. So what did you want to talk about with the Pelicans game? Well, I thought it was fitting for me to choose one of the losses for this week since last week I had that awesome Spurs win. This one stung a little because we're running out of games to make the playoffs this year and we let this one slip away. You texted me before the game started asking, what do you think the final score is going to be? We both expected for it to be a blowout. When we were not faced with that outcome, we came out in the first quarter and really the first half and played the way that we did. I got my hopes up. (laughs) You never expect your team to win on a night that they're missing some of their most reliable offense, but having the lead going into the fourth and scoring the way that they did, these are the games we have to find a way to win. I always jump right to the stats to kind of see how the game played out. I mean, we've been watching these games, but then looking at the stat lines, things kind of become a little more clear. We had six guys in double figures, but it still wasn't enough. And it was simply because Zion Williamson had 38 points and Brandon Ingram had 27. Again, I'm, I'm getting tired of having the Cavs allow two, one or two guys go out and have career nights against us every single game. Some highlights of the game, obviously Wade continues to still be lights out. He had five triples and shot 62% from the arc. I'm not sure how the Cavs are seeing him fit moving forward, but I would think that they're planning things for him more. We'll be seeing him in the rotation more throughout the rest of the season. Another highlight, we had 39 points in the first quarter. I'm sure you were feeling the same way as me. It it wasn't going to stay that way. It was too good to be true. They really kept a good pace for the rest of the game. They scored at least 25 points in every quarter. It was just that fourth quarter that killed them. Plus, turnovers were only 17, but they had most of them in the second half. Because they kept coughing the ball up in the third and the fourth, that helped dwindle the lead. I'd say another positive is that Okuro had a solid evening with 19 points. You know, he's just contributing out there and making smart plays. I continue to like the way Okuro is developing. And finally, you know, Hartenstein, he continues to impress with his passing. He struggled a little the entire game to stay out of foul trouble, and that didn't help with Nance Jr. and Allen still being out for the game. So positives for his play while on the court, but unfortunately we needed him to be out there a little more just to kind of get that flow going. Overall, it was a game that I was pleased to see our depth come out and play competitively, and it left just a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth because we could not finish. The team definitely teased us with this game. As you mentioned earlier, we did not have high expectations coming off of that thumping from the Raptors and going into this game without Sexland. But I think you pointed to it like the the depth was really great where you have Wade and then Okoro stepping up. They're technically not depth pieces because they've started so much this season, but they're starting in ways that I doubt JB thought that they would be starting at the beginning of the season, right? And they contributed a lot in this game and were a big reason why they were as competitive as they were. I also think, too, the other guy I was really happy to see play a lot more in this matchup, and I'm just going to say this right now, is I'm really happy that JB is listening to our podcast um, You know, this early on, is uh, I highlighted when the last time the Cavs and the Pelicans played was right after the All-Star break, and Stevens only played about two minutes, and Lamar Stevens played uh, roughly 16 minutes off the bench, and guess who he manned up on? Zion Williamson, exactly who I pointed out should be he should be marking. He's the only other guy on the team's bench who can athletically and physically stay in front of Zion. He actually drew a couple charges from him and he kept Zion a little honest. And I think this was a game that the Cavs were kind of surprised they were in the driver's seat for so long 
the fourth quarter 15 point output definitely put the nail in our coffin because that's when the uh, Pelicans took over. But I also think the lineup shifting and some of the situational basketball, JB was kind of stuck because he kept playing Jetty, who did have a solid game. He played about 26 minutes and, and kind of worked as a reserve point guard. But I thought that Stevens should have been out there earlier in the fourth quarter. That is when Zion started taking over for the game. And the rest of the Pelican squad did not play well at all. It was really just Ingram and Zion, and that was it. So I think they should have brought Stevens back out more and had him play closer to 20 minutes just to get in Zion's face a little bit to make him frustrated, right? I honestly think that JB can learn from that. I don't see it as a knock on him. I see it as he's still getting depth out of this team that we admitted we did. We thought they would lose probably by at least 30 points. Right. And he still had this team show up and respond. I'm actually a big JB fan. I think you are as well, because this is a season unlike any other. And clearly the squad is still listening to him and getting coached by him and the rest of the coaching staff. Okay, enough of this losing. On to the fun stuff. Colin, let's talk Thunder game. I actually thought the beginning of that game was really weird. The first half, both teams scoring over 60, especially with the Thunder not having their best player. I was a little nervous because I thought that they were going to give this game away. The Cavs were in the lead, but it was still like you're letting this team score 60 on you and half of the team that's playing right now is their reserve squad, right? Fortunately, the Cavs did the opposite of what they've done a lot of the season and came out with 28 points in the third quarter. And I thought that was phenomenal. They were moving the ball extremely well. The Cavs had 35 assists. That is the most since the home opener, which is absurd. That speaks to a lot of things. I think it speaks to how many lineup changes they've had. It speaks to the type of passing they've had. We have talked about how they're not passing, you know, they're passing the ball down at guys' ankles or they're a little over their heads or to their side. And I thought that they the passing was really crisp in this game where they were getting guys in the shooting motion in that pocket where they're able to just bring the ball up and have a clutch shot or a clean shot. A guy we haven't talked about a ton is Dorian Prince. He had 22 points off the bench. Just looks like a man possessed since he came back from his injury. I mean, he's a guy who we had a lot of high hopes for. And he's a guy the Cavs haven't had in a while. I kind of think of him as like a Richard Jefferson type where it's like he could start some nights. He can come off the bench other nights, but he will produce for you. And that's something we haven't had since the championship Cavs is a player like that. And Prince can, again, just like Jefferson, he can mark several different positions. He can shoot from the outside. He can dribble penetrate. He's just a lot of fun to watch, especially when he's on. And I was really happy to see that. Now I'm hogging up all this fun. So what other fun things did you see, Adam? 35 assists on only seven turnovers for the game. Oh, damn. We came out and played aggressively, consistently. You mentioning Prince, he played aggressive in this game, which was something that was kind of missing in the Pelicans game. This is the stuff that we need to see from him more. Obviously, 22 points, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not so much the, the final number. It's more of how aggressively he played every time he was out on the court. When we get that kind of sixth man intensity, I think we're a really tough team to beat. 
And it doesn't have to be him every night when we can get that from Wade or get that from Hartenstein. We have decent enough depth that it doesn't have to be the same guy every night. But it would be nice to see Prince come out and have this kind of intensity more often. Sexton had 27, Prince had 22, Garland with 21, Love with 18, Okuro 15, and Wade 12. Those are all point totals, five guys in double figures. I love that. We shot 51% from the field and 35% from the arc, and we made 13 out of 37 threes. We talked about this several episodes ago, that they needed to start, start shooting between 30 and 40 attempts a game, and they needed to make 13 to 15 of those to stay competitive in this league. And they've been doing that. Most of the game, I, I wrote this down, Sexton continues to show his explosiveness. The way he just bursts to the basket and throws up those layups, I hope his quickness doesn't go away anytime soon. That will, that will deteriorate with age, but hopefully we have another six, seven seasons of watching this guy just streak down the court. You mentioned that the first half, it's always a little concerning to see 60-some points from both sides. At the same time, us being one of the worst shooting teams in the league, thankfully we stayed with them. And what I loved the most about this game was our unprecedented, both as a team and as an organization, third quarter. We came out and we built a lead that then we never relinquished for the rest of the game. And it was so refreshing to be able to sit there as a Cavs fan and basically know with about 20 minutes left of the game that we've got it in the bag and now it's just time to enjoy us run up the score. This isn't the kind of team that you expect to struggle with, and certainly we have a tendency to come out and play tough against the, the better teams in the league. So I was just really happy that we came out and met the challenge and came away with the win. Definitely. I think somebody we brought up in the last podcast is Della Vadova, the fact that he's back. And during the stretch of games, he had a, a few turnovers in the Raptors loss. But in this game, he had seven assists. I think that that points to the work that Delhi had been doing while he was injured. And I just wanted to tip my cap to him, my figurative cap to him, because to have any chemistry with guys that you haven't played with at all this season, three or four of which are brand new to the team, it was really nice to see him have seven assists because that is almost triple his assist total for his average for his career. Let's go to the tape. The ringer Zach Cram just released their playoff and lottery odds, and according to them, the Cavs have a less than 1% chance to make the postseason, and around a 2% chance to get into play-in position. So one might say, why are we discussing this? Well, the intriguing part about the rest of the season is the Cavs have 19 games left, and 14 of them are against the Eastern Conference. As of this recording, the Cavs sit at 13th and are three and a half games behind the Bulls, who sit at 10th. So they kind of sort of have a chance. We agree that the team should make a run. Do you think that that is still possible? So just some quick information for our fan base here. Uh, Evan Demerell of Forbes.com has this article that I read this week that he talks about how the Cavs, and we mentioned this in, in the top, they're three and a half games back of the Chicago Bulls for the 10th seed, and they are six and a half games back of the Boston Celtics for the 7th seed. And that's actually changed since he wrote the article. Now we're six and a half games back of the Charlotte Hornets. Either way, it's very volatile right now. The teams are positioning back and forth. Anything between 5 and 10 is open and fair game right now. He also goes on to say that the play-in tournament is a newly introduced playoff format to keep things interesting and competitive for the regular season. The teams with the 7th highest and 8th highest winning percentages in each conference, so Eastern and Western, will each have two opportunities to win one game to earn a playoff spot. 
The teams with the ninth highest and 10th highest winning percentages in each conference will each have to win two consecutive games to earn a playoff spot. Looking at what our schedule has to remain, we've got 19 games left. We'll face the Hornets twice, the Bulls twice, the Wizards three times, and the Mavericks two times. Given that, and the chance that we have to kind of still squeak into the playoffs, what do we have left? We've got 19 games. We face many of the teams that are in our conference still, which we actually have a decent record with. And we play 10 of those games at home, which right now we have an 11 and 15 record at home and an 8 and 19 record on the road. The opportunity for us to win out or to win enough games to get in, it's certainly there, but it's it's a tough thing to believe in right now. I would say that the Cavs have to win at least 10 out of those 19 games to have a chance. And they may need to win more than that. They may need to win 12 or 13 of those games to have a chance. It's going to require a little bit of luck on the other side. Some of the teams that are currently in those 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th spots, they kind of have to help us out and lose their games too. And what is positive on that outlook is that many of those teams are in three, five, six-game losing streaks right now. So there's, there's a chance. You know, there's a very, very small amount of light at the end of the tunnel. And I think you and I both feel that for it to be a successful season and the maturation of these players and where we're hoping to head for next season, getting into that seventh or eighth seed is more valuable right now for the Cavs and for their learning process than to sit with a decent draft pick again. So overall, I think we've got a chance, but we're going to have to play kind of at our peak. That 35 assist night that we had, we'll have to have a few more of those. And we're going to have to limit our turnovers and really be more consistent on the court. Adam, I thought that you broke that down actually really well, just to kind of paint the picture. It's a shot in the dark. There's a lot of stuff that kind of has to fall the right way for the Cavs. There has to be lucky breaks, both in their games and with their opponents on in respect to the other teams that they're trying to get into that position or in that spot. I like the play-in aspect of this season only from the stance of I always like a little bit more competition. I do think that it's going to be difficult for players to grasp in the sense of how to play and to be that competitive at the end of the season. These seasons are so taxing for these players. And then this plan adds this extra wrinkle where really in the Eastern Conference, there's only two teams that probably aren't going to try to get into that play in position, right? So there's the Magic and the Pistons are basically done. You know, the Magic blew up their team at the trade deadline. The Pistons blew up their team before the trade deadline. The Cavs need to see what types of players they have. They keep pushing Colin Sexton as the face of their franchise in social media and trying to get him nominated as player of the week and everything. Well, the guy is called the young bull. He is a fighter. He is going to want to compete and he is going to want to try to get into this play in. And I hope that the team and the franchise is going to try to do the same thing. I also want to see playoff basketball. I think that that is the greatest learning experience that this young team can have. They'll still have a solid draft pick. This is a really deep draft. We'll get into all that stuff later in other podcasts. We could bring in a really talented young guy and bring him into a team that went to the playoffs. That's something that Garland, Sexton, and Okoro didn't have, right? Well, Sexton had it, but LeBron said bye. <laughs> so... 
I think that every Cleveland team, as much as they can get into the playoffs, that is so much healthier and happier for that team. Because when you start showing up and being a team that people realize, oh, they're getting wins to show up to the fan base that they are a good, competent team. If they can do that without LeBron James, I think that's a big step moving forward. I made that point in our last podcast. There are too many fans of the Cavaliers or people who follow the Cavs who don't remember what that team was like before LeBron came back. And he did win us a championship. He made good on somewhat of that promise, obviously. But at the same time, we need to show that this franchise needs to show that they can be competitive in a good NBA basketball team and organization without one of the best players ever. They need to be able to build a team. And the best way to do that is to try to win 10 of 19 games, right? They need to win 10, 11, 12 games in this next stretch to really show to the rest of the NBA that when they're healthy, their starters can hang. This is a team that hasn't tasted victory. There's only one person remaining from the original championship team. Didn't get moved, still there, right? Can't really count Delhi because he was gone for a little while. Everybody else is new to the team or new to the league and now needs to kind of create that for themselves. And the Cavaliers, they now need to make the playoffs three or four years in a row. That's where they're at. In five years time, if they've done that and they're just not progressing, then we can have a conversation about what they need to do. But they've spent the last couple of seasons building their draft picks, picking guys that are suitable to the offense and the defense, everything they want to run for this team. They've been able to pick up guys like Allen and Prince in a trade this season. They've moved Drummond now. They've moved McGee. They've progressed in all the ways that we knew they'd have to. Time has moved on. But the thing that really matters the most for their progression is to step into these next phases of their careers. And not getting into the playoffs, especially consistently year after year after year, starts to sour the hopes for a team moving forward. The Cavs can squeak in this year, even if they don't play very well, even if they can't get past that play in tournament, it still is more than what they've been doing. And it still gives them a chance to progress and, and try something new and give them a, a different taste in their mouth of, of how this game can be played and what the stakes are. Because when you're playing for one or two games and that's it, it's different than going through the 82 game season. I would say this, though, and I'm curious what, what you would think about it. I'm not a huge fan of this type of thing. And maybe it needs to grow on me, but nobody's really making arguments about there needs to be more games. And on the one hand, I would just say, yeah, you can you can say it'll be more interesting and fun for the fan base to have this kind of like quick one and done or two and done kind of tournament at the end of the season before the, the playoffs actually begin. What is the regular season for then? I thought one through eight, whatever your record is, When that 82nd game is played, the playoffs are now solidified. And there's a part of me that just thinks that you're devaluing the importance of the 82-game season by making it not really matter until, oh, well, spots 7 through 10 will have a chance to compete with one another right at the end, even though their records already show where everyone should fall. That bothers me a little bit. How do you feel about it? 
We will definitely have to see how it plays out. I think that the eye test will show us a lot about how these players react in playing these actual games, right? Because if they're exciting, then people are going to be like, oh, well, that wasn't a bad idea. But if the higher seated teams just blow out the lower seated teams and it's not competitive, I could see where people will be like, all right, well, we tried it during the COVID season and, you know, it was kind of a wash, right? I get your your point about the standings and, and how they kind of shake out. I was, I'm curious, I'm always kind of curious about this stuff, mainly because I remember the season that we won only 17 games to get the number one seed for LeBron. That wasn't fun for anyone to watch. And I think that something we're asking the Cavaliers organization to do right now is to try to get into this position, to try to at least get to the 10 spot where that wouldn't be the case in any other season. And they're only at 19 wins this season. That is matching and exceeding the last two seasons they played. And now they have a chance. And so I'm curious about it. I don't know if I will be a fan of it after the season, but I am curious to see how it plays out. And I'm also a big soccer fan. And, you know, in soccer, they have essentially the season is the playoffs. And so the stakes are always higher in soccer because the more you lose, the more you don't even have a chance to to progress into to other leagues and whatnot. But I think for me, I'm always for a more competitive situation. Well, and I also, I've been a uh, fan of the Eastern Conference most of my life, more so than the Western. It isn't that I don't appreciate the Western Conference. I've just never rooted for a team that's in the Western Conference. And my experience over the last 10, 15 years is that typically the Western Conference, almost one through eight in the playoffs, those are teams with winning records. But in the East, sometimes by the time you get to the fifth seed or the sixth seed and anything after that, those are losing records. Because they've had less winning basketball, I just wonder about diluting the the last three or four spots in a conference that all of those teams are basically suspect to be in the playoffs in the first place. And in that regard, how lucky are we? I mean, looking at the Western Conference, it, with our record, we'd be 14th in the West and we'd have no chance of making the playoffs this year. So on the one hand, even though I'm not certain that I like it moving forward, at least for this shortened season and for the current record and the standings that are in the Eastern Conference, at least we have a chance to make it still. We can't complain about that. The final seconds. The Cavaliers will play the Hornets in Charlotte, then the Wine and Gold will return home to face Golden State. Following that, they'll head out on the road to visit the Bulls and the Pistons to finish up the week. They've had issues with a few of these teams this season, most notably the Warriors. What games do you think we have the best chance of winning this week? My hope is that we win at least two of these games. The Pistons, as we've talked about, have kind of said, all right, we're cool. The season can wrap up whenever. The Bulls, however, made some really big trades, so they're going to try to get into the postseason. Zach Levine is unbelievable, but we were able to contain him the last time we played against them. So my hope is that we at least get two of these games. Isaiah Hardenstein has a player option, and there are rumors that he might opt out at the end of the season. How much would you pay to keep him, and how would you convince him to stay? 
As a fan, it's always a bummer to hear that a player that immediately got to your team is thinking of leaving or opting out of their contract at the end of the season. But that's the nature of the game. I try not to get too disappointed about that stuff. Hartenstein coming in, and this was something that you pointed out to me, he wants to be the greatest backup center in the league. My pitch to keep him would be what we're building as an organization and how he would fit within those rotations, how he would be the guy to come in and spell Allen for the foreseeable future, and that we value his skill set and what he can provide to the team. And from there, you just pay him whatever he's worth. And I would think it would be somewhere between eight to 12 million a year. I might pay you a little bit more than a standard backup center. We certainly have the funds coming into next season to do so. The question will be, is Hartenstein interested in more than what he says he's interested in? If that's true that he is interested in being a backup center. If he has his sights on being a starter in the league in any way, shape, or form, then it's not going to be a fit for us long-term, and we're going to have to move him. During the Pelicans game, Kevin Love passed Mark Price for second all-time in threes made for the Cavs with 803. Price tweeted, congrats at Kevin Love on passing me on the three-pointers made list in at Cavs history. Hashtag shooters shoot, hashtag respect. So in the spirit of the moment, I have to ask, who is your favorite late 80s, early 90s Cavalier player, Colin? No disrespect to Mark Price. Mark Price is arguably one of the best shooters of all time. My guy would be Terrell Brandon. Brandon was drafted by the Cavs when Price was injured and Price taught him kind of how to play. And Brandon has talked a lot about how he was just a sponge with him. Brandon was able to progress because of Mark Price's tutelage. And I think Brandon was able to kind of keep the ball rolling that the Cavs had with the success that they had in the 80s and have some more success in the 90s. He was just a fun guy to watch and was a guy that I kind of see a little bit of Garland and Sexton in him. He was a six foot point guard who was really known well for his passing. I think Sexton and Garland will have to be more proficient in shooting and scoring. But Brandon really was a facilitator. And I think both of those guys have learned in the modern game that they have to score and be facilitators at the same time, where Brandon was really only asked to be more of an assist leader. So that's kind of who I think of fondly is just somebody who was able to take the baton and keep the Cavs organization on track and keep them successful, even though Price eventually left via trade. Did you notice that Garland and Sexton are now wearing the same sneakers? That's pretty interesting. Do you have a favorite sneaker? I do have a favorite sneaker. It's not a sneaker I've ever owned, and I've never even thought to own it. But I think it's just the most iconic shoe in my lifetime. And it had that kind of response for me. It's solidified in my own mind as one of the greatest pieces of footwear that you could ever own. And that's the Air Jordan 1s. I think all the Air Jordans are pretty cool, but there's something about that first. Original color with the black, white, and red. They've always been coveted shoes for me. Jordan came in at a perfect time in the NBA when advertising individual players through shoes, fast food, soda, and other brands blew up. He was the poster child for hyping up the NBA and all brands associated with it. So that's what that shoe, in my mind, has become. And even just looking at pictures of it, it's like, yeah, I would totally own those shoes in a heartbeat. It was always just money and opportunity that is why I never had them. And just as a little aside, a close second that I have to mention is the Nike Kobe 6s. 
the Grinch neon green low tops. I wasn't always the biggest fan of his, but I loved his shoes and I really loved those. I just thought they were fun. You know, he always picked color schemes and certain designs that just had a real energy to them. And so many of the players, even in the modern NBA, try to kind of outdo one another with their shoes. But Kobe's, man, every time Kobe's released, I just thought they were the coolest. So if I wasn't going to choose the Air Jordan 1s, I probably would have chosen the Nike Kobe 6s. But it's got to be the Air Jordan 1s. That's it for this week. Thank you for joining us as always. We'll be back next week for episode 10. It was great to get into the play of the Cavs. Follow us again on Apple Podcasts and other places like Spotify. Talk to you folks soon. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club podcast. Let's go Cavs.